Again, hey, listen, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please join me in John chapter 8. We're going to be looking at John chapter 8, verses 31 through 47. It's a bit of a longer text, uh, so I want to read it, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump right in. John chapter 8, starting at verse 31, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you need a Bible, there are some on the table behind you to my left, which would be to your right. Please feel free to grab one. It's yours. It's our gift to you. If you don't own a Bible, please take one. Read it. All right, John chapter 8, starting at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free Indeed. Praise God. What a glorious verse that is. What a glorious verse that is. Verse 37. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are thankful for this opportunity once again to fellowship together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, I pray that through the reading, through the teaching, preaching of your word this morning, that you would be glorified Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you challenge us by this word, yet encourage us as well? Father, I need your spirit to rest upon me, to work in and through me, to glorify you during this time. Lord, I am simply a man and a fallible man at that, so I can do nothing apart from your spirit being at work in this place this morning. Lord, would you use me for your glory, for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And one of the great realities of living in the United States of America is that we get to enjoy wonderful freedoms. In fact, we get a lot of freedoms that other nations don't get the privilege of enjoying. Now, I think I'd be right to assume that every person in this room enjoys being free. I don't think there's anybody in here who would want 
to be enslaved. In fact, I think that would be a really simple survey, right? A hundred out of a hundred people would probably say, yes, I like my freedom. No, I do not want to be a slave. You wouldn't have to put, put much thought into that response if I were to ask you a question about your freedom. However, there are those among us today who believe themselves to be free, yet the Lord Jesus says otherwise. You see, the text before us this morning speaks to a particular camp of people, people who are confused by the true meaning of freedom. And I truly believe for many people, that's it. They are just confused about what it actually means to be free. We'll certainly find that as we look at this group of Jews that Jesus talks to here this morning. So maybe you're in here this morning and that's you. Maybe you're here and you think you're free. Maybe you move about in your days and your weeks and you do whatever it is you desire. You have the ability to do whatever you want. There's nothing restraining you in your thoughts, your actions. You are free to pursue all of the things you want. But you failed to realize that in these pursuits, you've never truly been liberated. For void of any saving relationship with Christ, you are still, we are still under the bondage of sin. Or perhaps you're in another camp. Perhaps you're in here this morning and the things that you pursue give you such great pleasure that you have no desire to turn from them. Maybe the things that have you enslaved, maybe you realize they have you enslaved, but they give you so much joy and so much pleasure, you have no desire for liberation. You don't even want to entertain the thought of abandoning those pleasures. Listen, even for you, if that's you in here this morning, freedom is available. And it's available in Christ Jesus. Listen, there is good news for the captive soul this morning. For those enslaved to sin, for those enslaved to the desires of the world and the desires of the flesh, liberation is available today. You can be set free, praise God. And I don't mean a shallow or a temporary freedom. I mean freedom in the fullest and most complete sense of the word. Jesus says him and his words are the way to freedom. It is the son of God that sets men and women free. My hope is that everyone in this room would understand that truth this morning. To my brothers and sisters in Christ, to those who are a part of the body of Christ, my aim this morning is simply to illuminate our Savior and his word in such a way that you're compelled to leave this place and to go about living the freedom that's been accomplished for you through the blood of Jesus Christ. But to those in this room that are unbelievers, that don't know Jesus Christ, my hope is that through the preaching of God's word, his spirit would be at work this morning, opening your eyes to the reality of this glorious Savior and seeing that you are actually in bondage apart from him. I hope that the spirit works through the reading and teaching of his word to make you aware of your need for freedom. You see, as we look at this text before us this morning, Jesus has a lot to say. And what we'll find is that his words bring freedom to some yet they're unbearable to others. 
So I want to approach this text with a simple uh, framework that I've put together, four simple points that I want us to look at that I think help us look at these 16 verses. And here are our four points. So if you're taking notes, you want to jot them down quickly. Point number one is the mark of true disciples. The mark of true disciples. Point number two would be the path to freedom. The path to freedom. Number three is the dispute over lineage. There's a dispute over lineage. And number four is the reason for rejection. The reason for rejection. And again, as we think through that framework and we examine this text, my aim is simple. I want us to see that true and lasting freedom is only found in the Savior who is Jesus Christ. I want you to see that in the Lord Jesus, you are free. Apart from him and his word, we're all bound. We're all slaves, children of wrath rather than children or sons of God. So let's walk through these verses together quickly. Point number one is the mark of true disciples. So when we were last in John chapter 8, we found that Jesus was making this breathtaking statement about himself. He's still at the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's continuing to engage with this group of people, and he says something astonishing about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Now, this was no doubt a controversial statement, and it drew the ire of the Pharisees as you see them begin to reprimand Jesus as best they could, and they say that he's bearing witness about himself. See, then Jesus goes on to talk to this group of Jews about several different things. He talks to them about judgment, about God the Father. He reminds them that he is not of this world. He even tells them that soon I will be going away. And perhaps the most controversy of all things that he says to them, he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. When we came to verse 30, as we closed our time last week, we found that there were many who would believe in Jesus. This is a great discourse that he has with them. So when we pick up here in verse 31, right after we find out that there are many who believed, let's look at verse 31 and 32. Jesus has something to say to this group. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. We'll just stop right there for a moment. This is the instruction of the Lord Jesus to would-be disciples. Now, many commentators agree that the group of people that Jesus is addressing here are the people who have recently come to believe in him. Now, the caveat to that is they haven't exercised full, complete, or genuine belief in Jesus Christ as of yet. This is why Jesus presses them here and gives them a qualification or a mark for true disciples. You see, while belief is indeed required, we are only saved by faith alone. Our faith is shown to be true if you abide in his word. You see, the word abide here is defined this way. Abide means to accept or to act in accordance with something. 
to act in accordance with something. So, for example, if I tell my children, you must brush your teeth at 9 o'clock and go to bed, they need to act in accordance to daddy's words, right? That means they must brush their teeth at 9 o'clock and go to bed. That means daddy's word uh, 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 governs what they do. They are abiding by my word when their actions are in accordance to the instruction that I've given them. That's an important point for us to remember, that Jesus says, look, you've shown yourself to be my disciples if you abide in and live by my word. Listen, it's, it's important here. I want to make this point as well. Jesus is not saying that if you follow my word, then you become my disciples. That's, that's not what he's saying here. He's simply saying you have shown yourself or proven yourself to be my disciples if you live by my word. Brothers and sisters, listen, persevering in obedience to the scriptures is evidence of genuine saving faith. Amen? You see, the Bible teaches us over and over again that it is only those who obey Christ that prove themselves to be his. Texts like John 14 23 and 24, Jesus says this, and Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my word. So Jesus states it in the positive and in the negative and the point is clear. There are verses like 1 John chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. There are verses like Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, not to mention all of the Old Testament text where God is consistently reminding the nation of Israel, his people, to live by his commandments and his statutes. He tells them that over and over again. Listen, brothers and sisters, any preaching or teaching that attempts to separate followers of Christ from the importance of obedience to his word is not biblically faithful. You see, as his followers, we must abide by and abide in his word. See, that's simple. I think that's a simple principle. Even if we think about the gospel, see, at the heart of the gospel invitation is a call to submission and surrender. It's a call to deny ourselves and live according to his way. You see, it's impossible for a person to profess faith in Jesus Christ and then neglect his commands. That is why Christ so often points to the cost of discipleship because it requires men and women to lay aside self, to deny ourself and live according to his word. That's how we show that we are truly his disciples. You see, then Jesus even goes on here and he tells us why abiding in his word is so important. And what does he say? He said, if you abide, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. So why is it important that we abide in his word, that we study it, that we meditate on it, that we live by it so that we'll know the truth? 
so that we're able to identify truth. See, that's so crucial in our day and time. If you consider we live in what we call a postmodern society, where people deny the existence of absolute truth. In fact, they'll point and they'll say there's really only one truth, and that's that there is no truth. Right? You have millions or, dare I say, billions of people all over the world who are just like Pilate when he was before Jesus. And they ask the question, what is truth? Well, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to look to the world, to scientists, to philosophers, to educators, to academics. We have the truth right here in our hands. Amen? Amen. Jesus says, my word is truth, and he says it will set you free. Praise God for that. Brothers and sisters, here Jesus reminds us that if we abide in his word, we know the truth. In fact, if we go forward to John chapter 17, as Jesus is praying for his disciples and all who would come to believe in him, he's praying to God the Father. He says, your word is truth. He says, your word is truth. So my question would be to us, brothers and sisters, are we abiding in God's word? Are we reading it? Are we studying it daily? Are we meditating on it? In fact, is it, do we conform our lives to the Word of God? Is it shaping us? Is it transforming us? Are there other influences in your life that are shaping you above God's Word? As a church, are we standing firm on the foundation of His Word? Are we preaching it, proclaiming it? Or have we compromised? Are there other things that are leading us? Are we abiding in the Word of God? Listen, listen close to this part. Even the difficult parts that we don't like. Are we abiding by those? When we come to a place in the text and it ruffles our feathers and it brushes up against our sensibilities, we still say, I'm going to abide in God's Word because it's the truth. Because it's the truth. See, that is how we set ourselves apart as his people. See, obedience to the words of Christ are a distinguishing mark of true disciples. Next, we move to point number two is our path to freedom. Our path to freedom. See, Jesus tells the Jews that the truth will set you free. See, he's drawing his, their attention to his words here. And this is important. Let's look at verse 33. So Jesus tells them that your, uh, his words are truth and that they will set you free. And then verse 33, it says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? See, these people are armed and ready with a response to Jesus's words. And it's obvious by this response that they totally misunderstood the significance of his statement. They didn't understand what Jesus was communicating to them. They didn't quite comprehend that. So it's as if they're saying, Jesus, why in the world would you be trying to offer us freedom? We've never been enslaved to anyone. We've always been free. What do you mean we'll become free? Now, obviously, if you know the history of the nation of Israel, they had been in political subjection to other nations, right? I think about Egypt, think about Assyria, Babylon. So that's not what they're referring to. They obviously were referring to this inward freedom that they had, this spiritual freedom that they had to worship the Lord as God's people. 
So when Jesus says, uh, my words will set you free, they're like, we don't need that, Jesus. We're already free. And so what do they do? They point to the reality of their lineage as descendants of Abraham. Let's, let, listen, Jesus, we're Jews. We're God's people. We're the offspring of Abraham. We don't need whatever this freedom is that you're offering us. We're good. Now, this is a disappointing response by this group as they've already shown they're unwilling to hold to the words of Christ. See, they've already, they've claimed to believe, but they're already stiff-arming what he's trying to explain to them. This call to freedom that he's offering. But see, Jesus doesn't let it slide here. He doesn't let them off the hook. He isn't stumped by their response. Look at verse 34. It says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, first and foremost, we must take note of the phrase, truly, truly. We've seen this before. Jesus has used this before. We've heard this coming off the lips of our Savior. So when he says this, Whatever follows is an extremely significant truth statement that we must give our attention to. And so what does Jesus say? He says, truly, truly, I say, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So here Jesus makes it clear the type of slavery that he's referring to. What he had in mind wasn't a physical slavery, but a spiritual one, one that pertains to sin the most devastating type of slavery, the most eternally destructive type of slavery, the slavery or the bondage of sin and rebellion against God. See, why is this significant? Because this is the type of slavery that plagues the whole of humanity, regardless of your ancestry, regardless of your ethnicity, your position, your status, this type of slavery plagues all of humanity. See, sin is a universal principle. And so Jesus says anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, again, this is important that we understand this correctly. Listen, I don't want anybody to walk out of here today and say, man, I, I sinned this afternoon, so, man, I must be a slave to sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's talking about those who practice or make a lifestyle of unrepentant transgression. That's the sin that he's referring to. It's not just individual acts. It's a consistent lifestyle. So Jesus says those who practice sin. In the Greek, it literally means one who does sin. Again, that is pointing to a continuous lifestyle of unrepentant sin. Those who live that way are indeed enslaved to sin. Listen, brothers and sisters, those who can hear me, sin is a manipulative master. It's a manipulative master. In fact, the practice of sin actively enslaves. The more you participate in it, the darker and deeper and tighter the hold becomes. Right? Sin is a terrible master. Read Romans 6. Right? There are really two masters, one that manipulates and mistreats you, the other that sets you free. Anyone in here, if you're living that lifestyle, and you know you're continuously practicing sin. It's not going to get any better by you continuing to live that way. Jesus Christ holds the keys to your shackles. He can set you free. 
And so not only does sin trap and manipulate people, enslaving them, but even worse, it brings about eternal consequences. See, sin condemns us under the righteous wrath of God. And the reason that we're really slaves to sin is because as human beings, we have no ability to free ourselves from the tyranny of sin. See, even in our best efforts, the most capable of us for all of our striving and all of our working, sin reigns in our mortal bodies. Thanks to our original parents, Adam and Eve, right? Sin is in our DNA. You can go to the gym and do all the push-ups and bench press you want. You do not have the strength to free yourself from the eternal binds of sin. Only Jesus can do that. You see, we require the, the might or the work of another. The, sin, the son must set us free and let, or we will die in our bondage. That's why Jesus tells them back in verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. See, it is Christ and only Christ who has the power to liberate sinful humanity. It's not politicians. It's not political parties. It's not entertainers. It's not athletes. It's not your family members. It's not your friends. It's not your boss. It is only Jesus Christ who can set humanity free. See, though, for the Jews, they considered themselves to be free. They believed they were sons, therefore they didn't see their need for any freedom. In fact, it probably seemed inconceivable to them that they would even be considered anything but free. But Jesus ups the ante here. He addresses their misconceptions with this analogy. Look at verse 35. Jesus says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. You see, familial bonds always surpass the rights and privileges of slaves. The father's son has permanent rights. I want you to think about what Jesus is pointing, here, pointing to here. If you think about back in that day and time, how slavery worked. Like as a son, as a blood ancestor, as a son to the master, he remains in that family regardless. And again, he has familial privileges. For a slave, he could be bought or sold or cast out at any time. He would not remain in the master's house forever like the son does. He doesn't have that same privilege. So although the Jews were descendants of Abraham and they were part of God's chosen people, they were more like slaves than sons. Their position wasn't permanent. See, Christ Jesus' position was permanent because he is the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. So as the second person of, of the Trinity, as the son of God, he has been given all authority to free the slave. He says, look, I don't care what works you guys do. It doesn't matter about your bloodline. You can't free yourself. Only the son can do that. And here I am standing right before you, and you want nothing to do with me. If you really wanted to be free, freedom is available to you now. See, Jesus' point is clear. It is only those who receive Jesus Christ, the Son of God, by faith, who are truly sons. It has nothing to do with your lineage or anything else that you can drum up. You see, if you recall in John chapter 1, verse 12, Jesus says, but to all who did, or the, John writes, that all who did receive him. So to all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. 
Or think about Galatians 3.26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God. Through what? Through faith. That's how we're sons of God. It's through our faith in Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with any of these other things. It has nothing to do with their bloodline. And so Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. What a glorious promise that is. Jesus can set us truly free forever, eternally. Nothing can compromise the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ. Listen again, I think as I mentioned in my open, I think a lot of people have this misconception of what freedom actually is. And I know I certainly did for a number of years. I remember growing up in my parents' house, and my dad's a preacher, and my mother's a choir director, and we were under strict rules. Like, my parents had rules in their house. And I remember thinking, man, I can't wait to graduate from high school and just get away from under their roof, and then I can do whatever it is I want, and I'll be free. And I want to tell you something today to anybody who's listening who may feel the same way. I never experienced more freedom than the day I walked away from the world and the desires of the flesh and all that that lifestyle desires. I found real freedom in Jesus Christ. See, again, I think so many people have this misconception of what being free actually means. See, true freedom isn't just being able to do whatever you want. It's being set free to do what pleases God. See, true freedom comes when our desires and our priorities have been reoriented in such a way that it aligns with the will of God. You see, when Jesus sets you free, you now have this desire to abide in his word. You now have this desire to die to self, to obey his commands, however imperfectly we do them. We find joy in the law of the Lord. His word is now life-giving to us. That's true freedom. So my question would be, are you free this morning? Again, we live in America and there are wonderful freedoms that we get to enjoy, but are you truly free this morning? And the answer is, if you're not in Christ, then you are not free. And he holds the keys to your chains. See, they thought they were free because they were offspring of Abraham. And Jesus says, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. You see, just as the mark of a true disciple is abiding in the word of God, false disciples always expose themselves by the rejection of Christ's words. See, his words find no place in false disciples. See, brothers and sisters, people can designate themselves followers of Jesus. They can profess or confess Jesus openly with their mouths before men, but they're only proven to be legitimate followers in as so much as they abide in his word. See, here in verse 38, Jesus presents to them a hard-hitting truth. Here he makes a shocking and offensive comparison. Let's look at verse 38. Jesus says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard with your father. See, Jesus isn't backing off here. He's actually doubling down on this indictment. Jesus says, I speak from my father. You speak from your father. Guess what? We don't have the same father. God is my father, but he is not yours. 
And see, the Jews, again, they're ready to respond to Jesus' words here. They're ready to respond to his uh, indictment here by claiming once again to be children of Abraham. You see, their response shows that once again, they miss the point that Jesus is trying to make. They say, Abraham's our father. But Jesus denies that claim. He says, listen, if Abraham was your father, you would be doing the things that Abraham did. What did Abraham do? He responded in obedience to what God commanded. The word of the Lord comes to Abraham. He goes, God tells him to go, and he goes, and the text tells us that it was counted to him as righteousness. See, Abraham was obedient. These Jews are proving to be anything but that. You see, here's the incarnate word standing in front of them, calling them to repentance, telling them to look to him in faith, to believe in him. And they continue in their sin of unbelief, rejecting the Son of God. Jesus says, that's not what Abraham did. You're not at all sons of Abraham. You're doing the works of your father. You might be Abraham's physical descendants, but your actions do not resemble those of Abraham. They resemble the actions of another. It is only those who respond in faith that are actually Abraham's children. That's the point that Jesus is trying to make. And we even get that in the New Testament from the writings of the Apostle Paul. If you look at his letters to the, or his letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, this is what the Apostle Paul writes. He says, know then that it is those who are or those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Jesus' point, and really Paul's point here, is no one has ever been saved according to their ancestry. That does not make you a son of the kingdom. Nevertheless, these people are, again, ready to respond. They dodge Jesus' rebuke here, and they point or use a pretty old tactic. So they say, oh, you're the one that's born of sexual immorality. So they use what we call the ad hominem approach, which means in Latin, to the person. So when you can't win the argument, you just attack the person. Right? So rather than actually responding to what Jesus says to them, they're just like, oh, you were born of sexual immorality. And so what they're referring to here is the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. Right? They knew that Mary had become pregnant during her betrothal period. They knew that Joseph wasn't actually Jesus' father. So they're trying to dismiss or attack Jesus' character here. Right? So they say, you're the one that's born of sexual immorality. They're trying to say that Jesus' birth was illegitimate. Now, here in verse 41, the Jews, again, up the ante. They, they're raising the stakes now. So they're saying, you're the one that's born of sexual immorality. We have one father, and it's God. So if we have one father, even God. So who's your father, Jesus? You don't really even know. But our father is God. So now they've gone from being offspring of Abraham to now calling themselves children of God. Brothers and sisters, this is really what it's all about. At the core of this discussion, at the core of this conversation, who is and who is not children of God, and how do we determine that? Well, thankfully, the Lord Jesus helps us answer that question in verse 42. Let's look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. And that's simple and plain. 
Jesus says the ultimate criteria for determining whether or not a person is truly a child of God is whether or not they love his son, Jesus. You know, a lot of times you hear that that phrase thrown around, oh, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. This tells us that's not true. It is only those who love Christ Jesus, the son, that are actually the children of God. Listen, you cannot claim to know and love God or furthermore claim to be loved by God if you deny his son. The son whom he's sent into the world to save and redeem the lost. This is how we demonstrate our love for God, by how we love his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus has already made this plain. Even back in John chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Or in John chapter 15, verse 23, Jesus says, whoever hates me hates my father also. So the Jews could make all the claims that they wanted to be sons of the kingdom or children of God. The rejection of Jesus says otherwise. Their desire to kill him proved that they weren't actually sons of God. And that moves us to our point number four. And the reason for their rejection. So Jesus says that this is the reason that they've rejected him. Let's look at verses 43 and 44. Jesus says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen, as Jesus has been speaking to this group, his words are not necessarily unclear to his hearers. They're just unbearable. You see, for those who are in Christ, truly children of their heavenly father, Christ's words are freedom and life. But to his opponents, to those who are under the sway of the evil one, as John describes them, his words are unbearable. They want nothing to do with what Jesus has to offer. So Jesus says the reason they can't bear to hear his words is because they're actually sons of their father, who is Satan, the devil. And this is bold. This is offensive. Right? No wonder they wanted to pick up stones and kill him. I mean, you go to a bunch of people, the ancestors of Abraham, part of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and you tell them, look, man, you're actually, you don't know God. You're actually sons of your father, the devil. They are incredibly offended. Look at the boldness of our Savior. Listen, if you have this picture of Jesus as a doormat or a pushover of a really nice guy, if you read your Bible, that'll quickly go away. That's not who he is. That's not who he is. He's bold here. He tells him you're sons of Satan. He says you're doing all the things that Satan did. Satan was a liar and a murderer and you want to kill me in the same way. And so he talks about Satan being a murderer, and I believe this is alluding to Genesis chapter 3. And you say, well, when did Satan kill in Genesis chapter 3? Well, it's referring to Satan robbing Adam and Eve of their spiritual life, right, when he deceives them. 
and then sin enters the world, and now death comes to the entire human race as a result of Satan's deception and Adam's sin. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us that this is Satan's character. It tells us that Satan, your adversary, is like a lion looking for who he can devour. See, Satan is like the thief in John 10 that only comes to kill and steal and destroy. And these Jews are showing by their own actions that they are sons of their father who is actually Satan. Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So they're seeking to kill him and they're rejecting the truth of his word. Jesus says, I know Satan's your father by your actions. You're demonstrating the same characteristics Look, I don't need Maury and a paternity to test to know who your father is. It's Satan. Because you're doing the same things that he did. They wanted Jesus dead. They wanted to kill him. Verse 46. I love this verse. Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? Now, this is what theologians will refer to as the impeccability of Jesus. And this is his perfection and his holiness and his separation from sin. See, they have, Jesus is giving them an opportunity here to say, okay, bring some charge against me. Where have I sinned? And they can't do it. So what eventually would happen, if you've read through the Gospels and you know they'll just create some false charge to bring against Jesus and get him to the cross and crucify him, all part of God's plan. Jesus doesn't need to argue with them. But what we're reminded of from this text is the perfection of our Savior that he was spotless, that he's perfect, that he's sinless. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.1 tells us that God made him who knew no sin. And praise God that we have a perfect Savior, and that our, his righteousness is accounted to us. And that's how we are counted and justified before God the Father. And praise God for this perfect, holy Messiah. And so as Jesus prepares to close this section of, of the text and this conversation with these people, he's saying, the reason why you do not hear my words is that you are not of God. It's plain and simple. That rings true today. Even if you're in this building, if you're in this room this morning and the words of Christ are just unbearable and offensive to you, it's because God hasn't changed your heart. It's because you're not of God. Jesus tells them, it doesn't matter about your bloodline. It doesn't matter all the wonderful religious practices you participate in. You are rejecting me and my word, and that is proving that you are not of God. See, this is the final blow to these individuals. They don't know God. They have no relationship with the Lord. See, as we close our time, I just want to close by asking a few simple questions. As you encounter Christ in his word, are his words freeing to you? Have they so transformed you and shaped you in such a way that your soul has been liberated? Brothers and sisters, are you seeking to live under the authority of Christ and his word? Joyfully, not out of obligation. Are you joyfully submitting to the words of Christ? Have you been changed in such a way that you are free to do what pleases him 
for his glory and for your good. Has the Son of God truly set you free? Or are you in here this morning and as we read through this text and we hear the words of Christ, they're just offensive to you? Has it offended your sensibilities? Have the words of Christ angered you this morning to the point that you want to turn away and have nothing to do with Jesus? Listen, to those in here this morning who may be unbelievers and have no relationship with Jesus Christ, my hope is that you would turn to him this morning where you find freedom. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team, our band back up, our praise team back up. We're going to do one more song, but I want to give everybody in here also an opportunity to respond to the truth of what we heard this morning, what we've read. You know, as I said at the beginning of this message, I think everybody wants to be free. We all want to be free. And the unfortunate reality of some of us think we are and we're actually not. But then there are some people in this room who know they're under bondage and they just don't know how to get free. They just don't know what to do. Again, the keys to your shackles are in the hand of the Savior. Freedom is only found in the Son of God. You see, Jesus says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. What a beautiful promise that is. Look to him in faith this morning and find eternal, true, and lasting liberation. I want to give you a minute right where you're sitting to just pray silently, and then I'll pray and close our time. Jesus, we thank you. Lord, that you even have a desire to free humanity. That though we've rebelled against you time and time again, turned to our own way, sought the pleasures of the flesh and the desires of the world, that Jesus, you came and you lived and you died and you rose again, that those who look to you in faith can be free. God, we thank you for that glorious reality this morning. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for those who are part of the body of Christ, that we would daily dwell on his words, that we would abide in them, live by them, that we would conform our lives to your word and live under the authority of the Holy Scriptures, of what you've written and revealed to mankind. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know the freedom that Jesus brings. Lord, I am burdened for their bondage or that they continue to walk about in chains, not even realizing that they aren't free. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit being at work, even right now, in the hearts of those who are lost, that you would set them free this morning, that they would see Christ Jesus in all of his glory and submit and surrender their lives to him even right now and be eternally liberated. Lord, would you be glorified through the rest of the time that we have here together this morning? I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.